0: the pastor and all the workers. It takes a lot of team to get all this together and keep all the heathen in line. And this is just a great group tonight. I appreciate so much you spending this Friday evening and Saturday with us. And uh, I absolutely loved Brother Plowman's message while ago for several reasons. Number one, I learned a new word, Nahushkan. I like that. And uh, I'm going to use that. When I see something I don't like, I'm just going to say, Nahushtan. They're not going to know what I'm saying, but I know what I'm saying. That's a good word. Don't misuse it, all right? Uh, the second reason is now I know how to pray for Pastor Plowman because uh, he's got a dentist appointment coming up in a few days, and so may the Lord be with him. Uh, but the third reason, because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Now, be honest, every head up and every eye open. How many of you know the Holy Spirit spoke to you from that first message? Would you raise your hand? He spoke to me. You know, preachers need preaching too. And I I love the fact, what she sang a minute ago, what we heard a while ago, what we're getting ready to do again, I love it. There is nothing like the Word of God. Look, look here. It's not magical, but it is spiritual. God speaks. How many of you like to hear God's voice? God speaks through His Word. Let's let God speak to us tonight. I want you to open your Bible with me, please, in the New Testament as fast as you can to the book of 2 Timothy. So if you go to about mm, end of the New Testament, start your way back just a few pages, you'll bump into 1 and 2 Timothy, two books written by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a young preacher. And they have come to mean even more to me in recent days, and tonight I bring you to Second Timothy chapter number 2 because I want to help place an emphasis that this conference is all about. I love the fact the pastor here has a burden and the youth director to try to pass on something, I love this, from generation to generation. In fact, the little shirt they've given us to wear has, wrong side, that's Adidas. The little shirt they've given us to wear has two links on it, a chain. The idea is, look please, we're all connected to God and we're all connected to each other. That's the way God designed it. You know, every young person I know wants to be a part of something. Everybody. Everybody wants purpose and meaning and fulfillment. Everybody wants a reason to get up in the morning, contentment when they go to bed at night. Everybody wants to feel that they're a part of something bigger than themselves. You listen to me just a second. If you're connected to Jesus and a part of what God is doing in this world, you're a part of something bigger than any club, organization, school ball, team, gang, anything else on earth can give you because you are a part of a purpose that is going to outlive your life and you're going to meet it all the way into eternity. In fact, you might think your life is small, but I want to tell you, it's connected to something that is very big. With that in mind, I want you to look at Second Timothy chapter 2, two verses. Look at verse 1 and verse 2. Paul says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses... The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. For a few moments tonight, I'm going to preach to you on the missing link. How many of you ever heard that term before? Uh, Evolutionists use that term to describe what they think is the missing link between a monkey and a man. Everybody turn and look at your neighbor. How many of you think you're looking at the missing link? Anybody think you've discovered them? Yes? May I say to you, this is Nahushtan. That's what that is. Let me use a West Virginia theological term. That's hogwash. That's nonsense. That's foolishness. That's stupid. I know your mother said don't don't use that word, but forgive me. Stupid. You didn't come from a monkey. You didn't come from an explosion. You came from an all-wise, all-powerful, all-present God who created all things and holds the whole world in the palm of His hand. The only missing link among men is the missing link of people who fail to receive the truth and pass it on to the next generation. That's the only missing link. There's a chain on this platform tonight. It was up here before I got here. Nobody knew what I was preaching on, but it was just hanging up there, so I'm going to use it for a minute. I'm not going to go all the way around like our former preacher did and Surround surrounds you with the chain, but... Chains are made up of something. What are they made up of? Look here. What are they made up of? Links. And every link is essential. If you say, oh, that's just one link in a very big chain. That link, look, please, this, this one link doesn't mean anything. All right, let me ask you a question. If I dangle you over the Grand Canyon with a chain of ten links, and one of those links is bad, do we have a problem? Yes or no? You better believe it. Because look, please... Every link in the chain matters. Look at God's chain. Everybody look at verse number two. Here's God's chain. Underline it in your Bible. First of all, he said, the things that thou hast heard of me, underline me in your Bible. Who's talking? Talk to me, class. Who's talking? Paul is. So Paul is the me. So Paul is one link in the chain. You know, Paul gets a lot of press. Let me just remind you something. There's only one hero in this story, and his name is Jesus. Paul, oh, tell us who you are. I'm a chief of sinners. I'm, I'm a bond slave of Jesus. I'm just a servant. You know, sometimes I travel all the time preaching in a lot of meetings like this. Sometimes even preachers get a lot of press. Let me just tell you something about preachers. Preachers are just dressed up sinners who are explaining to you something God's teaching them right now. So don't put your trust in, in any preacher, even if it's Paul. Look, please, he's just one link in a very big chain. Then, look at it again, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Unline the word thou. So me is Paul, thou is who, class? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Thou is who? So look, me is Paul, thou is Timothy. So you just got one more link in the chain. Somebody tell me what Timothy looked like. I have no idea. I'd like to know how high his vertical was or how fast he could run or How popular he was. Somebody somebody, tell me. I'd like to know about Timothy. Somebody say, well, we don't know. There's a reason we don't know. It's not in the Bible. You want to know why it's not in the Bible? Because that's not God's emphasis of your life. Your life isn't wrapped up in what you look like or what somebody else thinks about you or what group you belong to or what somebody said about you. That's not your identity. Your identity is wrapped up in Jesus. Look, you're a link in a very big chain. And there's a third link in the chain. Look at the verse. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men. Everybody in the line, faithful men. Somebody said, who were they? We have absolutely no idea. We don't know who the faithful men are. We only know what they were. They were faithful. Oh, I love this. Do you understand God doesn't just use famous people? How many of you are glad God uses ordinary people? Because most people are not going to be famous, most people are not going to be well known. That's all right. You don't have to be famous. You just have to be faithful, because it's required in stewards that a man be one thing that a man be found faithful. Look at look me in the eye. Every one of you has different talents, but I am going to tell you something. Every one of you can be. Every one of you can be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. So you got Paul, he's a link. You got Timothy, he's a link. You got faithful men, anonymous on earth. By the way, nobody is anonymous in heaven. Some people are hidden servants on earth. In fact, I think some of God's greatest servants, nobody ever calls their name. They're never on the platform. When we get to the judgment seat of Christ someday, we may be really surprised that a whole bunch of well-known people have stepped to the side, and the real servants who knew how to pray and get a hold of God are brought to the forefront to kneel at the nail pierced feet of Jesus and receive their crowns and rewards. Look, God knows exactly who the faithful people are. then it doesn't end there. In fact, it really doesn't end at all. Because look at verse number 2 again. He says they're going to be able to teach, what's the next word? Others. And the others are just one more link in the chain. I say, look here just a second. God has a very big chain. It started when Jesus came to this earth and called 12 men to be with Him. Do, do you know who they were? We know Peter, James, and John. They're the inner circle. They're the most famous and familiar of all the disciples. But stand and tell me something about Nathaniel. Or, or tell me something. Please, I'd like to know everything you know about Bartholomew. Somebody tell me about Bartholomew. Or tell me everything you know about Matthew. Somebody say, well, we don't know that much about them. That's all right. Look, please, because they just had one link in a very big chain. And from the beginning, the Lord set in motion something you'll talk about a chain reaction here's a spiritual chain reaction the lord set in motion something that has continued to this present generation this thrilling to me and we are a part of the same thing christ and his disciples were doing when they were on this earth you understand you are part of something bigger than yourself but tonight i don't want to talk to you about the chain tonight i want to talk to you about the link And somewhere I want you to write this down, would you please? My life is one link in God's chain. You only get one. You don't get another one. You don't get a do-over. You don't get somebody else's link. You get yours. I want to say to you, you may be the first link in somebody's extension, connection to God. Some of you do not come from Christian backgrounds. Now, many of you do, but some of you don't. And maybe you're sitting in here right now thinking, man, I'm all alone. Like all these people, they, they know all about this and this is just kind of out of my comfort zone. You listen to me. Everything God starts, He starts in somebody. Some of you, your parents don't serve the Lord Jesus. But you know what you can do? You could start a godly line that if Jesus tears his coming generations from now, somebody else will be sitting in a youth rally or reading the Bible or praying. Because somebody let God use them to be the first link in a chain reaction that God sets in motion. Somebody's got to be the first link. This is really exciting. Somebody is going to be the final link. I love that thought. You know, the Bible talks about the other day that the bride of Christ will be complete. Do you understand? There will come a day that the last person gets saved. Just use a little sanctified imagination for a minute. I don't know when or where that's going to happen. Wouldn't you love to be preaching when that happened? <laughs> That'd be thrilling. Can you imagine being in the meeting when the last sinner says, I want to trust Jesus, and the Father looks over and says to the Son, that's everybody now, go get your bride. And at that moment, a trumpet sounds, and Jesus steps out in the cloud, and we get called out of here. That'd be glorious. Could happen in this meeting tonight. Look at me. You may be the final chain. Some of you right now are sitting there thinking, I hope Jesus doesn't come before I get my driver's license. Let me just tell you something. If Jesus comes before you get your driver's license and getting married and all the things you want to do with your life, I can guarantee you on the authority of the Word of God, you are not going to be disappointed because I have not seen, you have not heard, it he has not entered the heart of men the things God has prepared for them to love Him. Look, please, God has more planned for us on the other side than anything you can imagine here. It's going to be ten times better than that. Someday, some generation of young people, We're going to be alive in high school, serving Jesus when the trumpet sounds. I personally believe we're nearing the end of the age, and Christ could come at any moment, and I think it's thrilling to think that God may have chosen us to live on the end of the story and be on the welcoming committee for the Son of God. Sometimes I hear people say, man, I wish I could have been one of the first disciples, not me. I'd like to be one of the final disciples. I'd like to be alive when the trumpet sounds and feel what it's like to fly through the air. I flew American Airlines today, and it was a little bumpy coming over. But when I fly out of here in the rapture of the church, I'm going to tell you something, that's going to be the best flight I've ever been on my life. And I'm going first class, too, really fast, let me tell you. You may be the first link, and you may be the final link, but look at me, kids. Don't be the missing link. Someone has said that Christianity is only one generation away from extinction. Do you know what they mean by that? They mean by that that if you're not careful, somebody has handed you the truth. Somebody has given you the faith. But if you don't hold to that, and then if you don't hand it to somebody else coming along behind you, somewhere, some group of young people are not going to hear about Jesus. Like you and I have heard about Jesus. And my heart grieves as I look at our beloved nation. I'm concerned about our country. For the record, I'm not a pessimist that just says, oh, you know, the world's falling and the sky's falling. Look, please, if you're saved, we're not going down, we're going up. But I am burdened. Our youngest is 18, turned 18 this week and going to Crown College in the fall, and we're excited about that. I going to tell you something, you listen to me, please. If some generation of young men and young women don't find their place and start doing their part, we're going to let a whole generation of people in our world die without ever hearing the truth about Jesus Christ. Some of us have waited for parents and grandparents to get it done, make it happen. I came to tell you, it is your turn. And it is time for you and I to say, Lord, I don't want to be the missing link. And that's why Paul wrote these words to Timothy. We'll give you three words tonight when I'm done. Be easy to remember because they all come from the two verses. Everybody get your pen out. Would you please? I want you to mark them in your Bible, and they all start with the same letter, so it's going to be really easy to recognize. Three words that'll help you find your place. Number one. When I stop, say the next word. Ready? Thou therefore my son. Circle that word in your Bible, my son. Nothing is in the Bible by accident. This is intentional. You know what son is? It's a family word. You are somebody's son. You are somebody's daughter. But this is really important. The word son here is not about your human relationships. It's not about the family that you were born into. This is a connection to God's family. Matter of fact, go back one page in your Bible. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 2. Paul writes, look at chapter 1 verse 2. To Timothy, my dearly beloved, what? Son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the what? Please don't miss this. We get the idea that Paul's the only father. I want you to know, he was a spiritual father to Timothy, but the great father is our heavenly father. You know one of the bad things about... What's going on in our world right now? we got so many absentee fathers and abusive fathers. A whole generation of kids have grown up with the wrong view of God because every time they hear the word father, they think of bad things instead of the best things. I don't know if your daddy was a good daddy or a bad daddy, but I'm going to tell you tonight that the heavenly father is a perfect father. Some of you got bad situations at home, but I want you to know God has made a way so that you can be a part of the greatest family in the world. It is the family of God. The psalmist says that God sets the solitary in families. Look, who do you think created family to start with? God, our heavenly father, and God made a way so that every young man and every young woman could come into the family of the heavenly father. How does that happen? Through his perfect son. How many of you have siblings? How many of you are the favorite? How many of you know a sibling is the favorite? And every now and then, you say, yeah, they think he's perfect. They think she's perfect. Well, let me just tell you tonight, the the only begotten son, he is perfect. And the only reason any of us get into the family is because of the perfect son. Forty-one years ago, a lady took a Bible and told me about Jesus, and I got saved. I didn't understand everything I'm explaining to you tonight. I just knew I was lost and needed Jesus and wanted to be saved and believed that Christ was the Savior. And on that day, I got what the Bible calls born again. Have you been born again? I'm not asking, did you get baptized? Are you a member of a church? Are you trying hard? Are you doing your best? I'm not asking if you memorize Scripture or do you know the choruses we sang tonight. I'm asking tonight, do you know that Jesus Christ has saved your soul and God is your heavenly Father? Do you know you're one of the children of God? Do you know there's only two ways you can come into a family? What are they? Number one is birth, right? What's the second way? I love this. Now I'm not going to ask or embarrass anybody. We have a cousin in our family who, who was adopted early on, and he knows he's adopted, and we all knew that he was adopted. Do you know he has all the same rights and privileges of those of us who were born in the family? Matter of fact, we grew up going on vacation together and spending time together, and we didn't think of him as being any different because he had been selected, he had been chosen, he had been received in the family of God. Now I love this. When you study the New Testament, did it ever dawn on you that God used both ways? of entering a family to describe what it means to be saved. He said you must be what? Born again. And then he says, when you get saved, you are what? Adopted into the family of God. Somebody said, why would he use both ways? Because it takes both ways to reveal how wonderful our salvation is. It is miraculous like a birth And it is the loving choice of our great God to bring us into his family. By the way, there's a big family reunion being planned at the father's house. And the only people that get to go to the house are the children. If that trumpet did sound tonight, are you sure you're going? I know the business is trying to make people doubt. In fact, I don't feel like it's my job to give you assurance or to bring conviction. It's my job to give you the truth and the Holy Spirit will tell you whether you're one of the children or not. And I'll tell you this right now, if there's any question mark in your mind, then you need to straighten that out and let it be an exclamation point before you leave here tonight. Make your calling and election sure. Drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation. This is not the time to wonder or worry about where you're going to spend eternity. You need to know you're one of God's children. <laughs> a couple weeks ago, I did something really dumb. How many of you ever did something really dumb? Well, tell them myself. I've been preaching in Louisiana to camp <clears> the <throat> first part of the week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday morning. We had a great time. I fly most weeks, and when I left there, I went to the airport. They took me to the airport. I got on a plane, flew to Charlotte, North Carolina, headed to Wilmington, Delaware. I supposed to preach that night, and the next day, <laughs> I got to Charlotte. We were late. They're always late. I've got my carry-on bag and my briefcase. We land. I get off, and I take off running as fast as I can through the Charlotte Airport, and I get to my gate just in time to see it say Wilmington, and we're we're boarding. Wonderful. I get on. I sit down. Sit next to a businessman. We start talking. Find out he's a Christian. Matter of fact, this is interesting. I don't know if it's ever happened to me before. He said to me, would you pray about something? I said, sure. He said, the guy on the last flight I was on next to me, his name is Thomas. He said, I witnessed to him the whole flight. He's lost. Would you pray for his salvation? And we talked about it. We had a great conversation. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm meeting my family at the beach. I said, great. Then I thought, the beach. By the time the pilot came on, we'd just taken off, hadn't been in the air, but maybe five minutes, and the pilot said, ladies and gentlemen, short flight today, we'll touch down in Wilmington in 32 minutes. And I said, hold up just a second, 32 minutes, what kind of plane am I on? It takes longer than 32 minutes to get from Charlotte, North Carolina to Wilmington, Delaware. I turned, there was a flight attendant there, I'd been talking to her a little bit already, and I said, she, she knew I flew a lot, I said, can I ask you a dumb question? She said, sure. I said, where are we going? She said, Wilmington. I said, I know, which Wilmington? She said, Wilmington, North Carolina. You ever get a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach like you're going really fast in the wrong direction? Do you know the airport code for Wilmington, Delaware is? I-L-G. And the Wilmington, North Carolina airport code is I-L-M. Only somebody in government could be dumb enough to put that together. And in my haste, buying a ticket on an app, I clicked the wrong Wilmington. And at 8.30 at night on a Wednesday, <laughs> I'm standing in the middle of the Wilmington, North Carolina airport, and the airport is shut down. All the employees have gone home. There's no, no uh, hotel shuttles. I'm standing there all by myself, all dressed up, and nowhere to go. And first, I was just stunned, shocked, stupid, you know? And then I started laughing hysterically. Did you know one letter can actually make a difference? You know what I think is really sad? I think it's really sad that a whole bunch of people are going to h- live their whole life knowing about God and show up in the presence of a holy God someday only to discover that they never really knew Him. They they knew about heaven, but they weren't ready to go there. Look at me. You can stand in a garage all your life. They didn't make you a car. And you can sit in this church all your life. That doesn't make you a Christian. You can't do that from the outside in. God has to do that from the inside out. You must know you are one of God's children. So the first word is really important because this is the foundation for everything else I'm about to show you. What's the first word, class? I'm sorry, didn't hear you. What's the first word? Son, and this reminds us of who we must be. We we must be children of God. You better know who you are and you better know whose you are. And for the record, I love this, Paul refers to him as his son because Paul was the one who was able to disciple him and bring him along. You know what you need? As soon as you know you've got a heavenly father, you need to attach yourself to an older, mature, wise Christian who can teach you the things of God and bring you along in the faith. Some of you tonight have pastors and youth workers in this room. Do you really think they're doing this on a Friday night because they had nothing better to do? I mean, come on. I'm going to tell you why they're doing this. They're trying to invest in the next generation. And some of you, some of you left home fussing about your mom and daddy and they're home praying for you right now. Some of you have been grumbling and griping about spiritual leaders. And I want to tell you, those aren't just friends. They are family. They're spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. They're giving their life to not only reach you, but teach you and invest in you and love you and pray you to God. And you ought to stop and thank God for every Apostle Paul that's trying to pour into your life right now. Stop fighting against the people who are trying to help you know God better. And so the first word is what, class? Second. There's a second word. When I stop saying the next word, look at verse 1. Thou therefore my son be what? Circle that word strong. We're not talking about physical strength. We're not talking about mental strength. We're not talking about strength of personality. We're not talking about your body odor. What kind of strong are we talking about here? This is spiritual strength. By the way, look at this. This is really interesting. What's the little word between son and strong? There's a little word that's just two letters. What's that word, class? B. This is really important because lots of times at youth rallies like this, if you're not careful, you think guys like me show up to give you a whole bunch of things to do and we say, here's three things you all do every day and seven ways to be a better Christian and ten steps to success in your life. Fill on all that just a second. The Lord is more concerned with your being than with your doing. He's more concerned about what you are than what you do. Because if you'll be what you ought to be, you will do what you ought to do. Some of you right now, you're checking off the spiritual boxes, trying to please everybody and give the appearance that everything's right on the inside. You need to stop all the doing and start working on the being because God sees what you really are beneath the surface. Be what? Look at that word. What's the second word? Strong. You know what I think Timothy's tendency was? Now, I don't know this for a fact. And I'm not picking on him. We all have our weaknesses, our besetting sins. We all have them. You know what I think Timothy's was? I think he was timid. Now, he was a preacher, serving God in a hard place. Had every reason probably to have a little fear and anxiety. But I think he was timid. Would you like to know why? In Paul's two letters to Timothy, no less than about 25 times in two letters, in some form he says to him, be courageous, be strong, don't be afraid. Almost like you get this picture of Timothy. And by the way, we're going to meet Timothy in heaven someday. You ever think about all the people you're going to meet when you get to heaven someday? I'm going to sit down and have a meal with Timothy someday. And I'm going to say, I read the books in the New Testament that that bore your name. Tell me more about your relationship with God. Tell me more about your relationship with the Apostle Paul. But I I think Timothy's going to say, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was a little scared. I was a little frightened. And so Paul kept writing to me saying, Look, you be strong, you you be courageous, you be bold, you take your stand. Do not be intimidated. Do not back up. Do not sit down. Do not get off the course. You press forward for the Lord. If you're not going to be the missing link, you not only have to be a son, you've got to be strong. You better settle the fact you're saved and know that you're in the family of God and belong to the Lord and He belongs to you. And then you need to give attention to the strength of your spiritual life. Because there's a whole lot of people who are saved and going to heaven someday that aren't spiritual and living for Jesus today. Timothy, all you Timothys look at me just a minute. All you Timothys. Timothy, God doesn't just have something for you in heaven. God has something for you here. Timothy was laboring in a very difficult pagan city A culture much like the world you're living in right now. This is not the time. Hear me with your heart. This is not the time for Christians to start cowering in a corner. This is a time for God's young men and God's young women to stand up and speak out and be identified publicly with Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you when he hung naked on that cross, suspended between heaven and earth, and died for your sins. And to think that we're ashamed to be identified of Jesus, I tell you, when we're going to be ashamed, we're going to be ashamed when Jesus shows up and we see him face to face, and realize we were more concerned about what everybody else thought about us or what somebody was going to say about us than what God knows about us. This is the time all of the sons and daughters of God must say we want to be strong. The question is how. It's not a religious pep rally. I didn't come just try to stir you up emotionally. No, no. There's a divine resource. I love this. For everything you are not, there is something that God is. You, 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 are, you are sinful. How many sinners are here? Wait a me, please. God is holy. How many glad God is holy? Yes. You are weak? It's all right. God is strong. You are ignorant? It's all right. God is wise. You are incapable? God is more than enough. So look at the divine resource in verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is not grace to get saved. I like this. This is everyday grace. When I say everyday, I don't mean it's just run-of-the-mill ordinary. I mean by it's grace literally for you to live by every day of your life. Brother Stephen, you all run a great camp. I'm in a lot of camps, and one of the things that concerns me in the summer months, and we're we're coming to the end of the summer. How many of you have been to camp this summer? Hmm. How many of you have been to a youth conference this summer? You're in one, all right? Very good. How many of you have been to any youth meeting at all this summer where God spoke to you? Good. And one of the things that concerns me is the spiritual graphs of most youth groups look something like this. Summer, and then the rest of the year and then let's all go back to camp because it's time to get right with God again. God didn't design the Christian life to be lived one week out of the year or one day out of the week. He designed it to be lived every day. I'm not preaching tonight for tonight. I'm preaching tonight for next Monday. I'm not preaching for this week while we're all here saying, we're having a great time, isn't this just wonderful? I'm preaching for the first week you go back to school in the fall. Forgive me for using a dirty word in church in the middle of the summer. But I want you to know something. God's grace doesn't just work in church buildings. It works in the school building too. It works every day in every place with every person and every temptation and every tendency to be ashamed or afraid. Look. I'm not trying to tell you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder this year. In fact, some of you right now are so frustrated and the devil's sitting on your shoulder lying to you. He's saying to you, you know, you prayed that before, you committed that before, you're just not spiritual enough, you you can't live it. He's exactly right. You cannot live it. I'm not trying to pump you up with enough, enough, excuse me, hot air so you can run for a little while and then you gotta go find you another meeting to get all stirred up by another guest preacher. I'm telling you how to live victoriously every day of your life. Stop leaning on camps and conferences and special speakers and your youth director and learn to lean on the grace of Jesus every day. Only Christ never fails. We're all weak. We all have to lean on something. That's why the Bible says, lean not on thine own understanding. Alright, if you're not gonna lean on yourself and you can't lean on others, let me tell you who you can lean on. Lean on Jesus. Lean on the grace of God. Some of you are right now are going through a hard time. Parents splitting up. Maybe you've heard the word cancer. Teenagers have problems too. Some of you right now, you got the struggle and stress and strain of the world on you and you think maybe it's not even worth living for. I came to tell you tonight that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny godliness and worldly lust and live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is grace to save you, there is grace to keep you, there is grace to guide you, and there is grace all the way to take you into the presence of God someday. The story of the Christian life is the story of grace from start to finish, like bookends on your life and everything in between. It is not your energy. It is not your attempt. It is not your intelligence. It is all the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the earlier in life you learn that, the better off your whole life will be. If you're not going to be the missing link, number one, you've got to be a son. Number two, you've got to be strong. And then you come to verse number two. When I stop, say the next word. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the what? Same. Circle that word, same. The same commit that to faithful men. That's a word we don't like, you see. Because nobody likes the same things. How many of you get tired of eating the same things? Yeah, same things. Do you understand the word same in the Bible doesn't mean like, the oh, it's the same. It means, look. It is proven, it is tested, it is true, it is unchanging, and you can trust it. There's only one thing that doesn't change from generation to generation. How many of you have lived long enough now to know clothing styles change? How many of you think technology has changed a little bit even in your lifetime? Join the club, man. There's one thing that never changes. It is God's truth. You want something that will not change in a changing world? Even right now, your body's changing. And some of you got changes going on. You think, I don't like this change. Well, there's more to come. And then about the time you grow up and think, hey, I got through that. Then you start getting old and you go down the other side. You know, it's wonderful. Just change. I got something good news for you. You Ready? Jesus never changes. I love Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians 3 verse 1. He said, to write the same things to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Oh, hear me please. The same things are the safe things. Paul showed up one day in a place called Athens. (laughs) They They had gods and idols everywhere. In fact, just for good measure, they had an altar set up to an unknown god. They said, in case we missed one, so this one's for him. I love it. Paul took that as the title for his sermon. He said, I'm going to preach today on the unknown God. And he told them who the God they did not know was, the God of the Bible. You know one of the marks of the people in Athens was? It sounds a lot like America. The Bible says they spend all the time in either to tell or to hear some new thing. You know the scourge of our generation? Novelty. Everybody wants some new thing. We don't need a new thing. We need the eternal truth of the living God. Here's the great thing about truth. It's not new, but it's always fresh. And when you learn to give yourself to the Word of God and to the same things, you have found something. Look, please. You have found something that you can anchor your life in. Something that will keep you from drifting when the storms come. And they will come. Something that'll keep you steadfast and secure when people laugh at you and mock your faith and persecute you for being a follower of Jesus Christ. You're anchored in Christ. You're anchored in the Word of God. It is the same things. So look at the progression here. Son, that's the first word. That's who you gotta be. Strong, I love this. This is what you gotta be. But when you get to verse number two, same, this is what you gotta do. Now we move to what you gotta do. You gotta do two things. Number one, you gotta receive the truth because you can't give what you don't have. I'm just going to tell you right now, you better stop this thing of my pastor said and my mama told me and our church believes. You better get down to what you believe and why you believe what you believe. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason or the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This is the day to know what you believe and why you believe what you believe. God says this in His Word. I love this. Would you mark in verse number 2 the word heard? By the way, you're listening unbelievably. I mean, you listen this way all night, and I know it's late, but I love the way you're listening. But I'm not just talking about sitting up looking at the preacher and taking notes and even having a pleasant look on your face. I'm talking about having your heart wide open to God, saying, Lord, teach me. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I want everything you have for me. I wonder, are you in tune with God that way tonight? Are you just hearing my voice or are you hearing God's voice? Because if the only voice you're hearing right now is mine, you're missing the point entirely. You must hear God speak to you through His Holy Word. You must hear God every day of your life, not just at special meetings. You must receive the truth. And then I love this. Not only do you receive it, then you pass it on. Because look at verse number 2. He says those same things. Now you commit them to others. You, You teach them to others. Every student must become a teacher to someone. I don't know if you're a good student, bad student, somewhere in between. Most people are just average. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to spiritual things, you need to become a better student, and you need to make it this your goal. By the grace of God, I want to teach at least one other person what God Himself is teaching me. Don't be the missing link. See, links, look here. Links are connected to one another. Usually... Most of us, we're here. We're in the middle. So a link is connected to the link before it and the link after it. That's all That's all you can do. That's all your responsibility. I want you to think just a minute about the link before you. Who told you about Jesus? Who? Do you remember who gave you a track or first invited you to church? Do you remember who was preaching on the day you got saved? Do you remember the person that sat you down and answered your questions and prayed with you? Do do you remember somebody's testimony that God used in your life? How many of you can think of at least one person who was instrumental in bringing you to Jesus? Would you raise your hand, please? Okay, then let's go to the other side. Who would say that about you? Who would say that about you? I like what G. Campbell Morgan said. G. Campbell Morgan said most people are brought to Jesus not by a rope but by a chain. What do you mean by that? He meant there are many links that connect people to the gospel. Like, for example, I get to show up every week and preach in evangelistic meetings and we see people saved, and I love that. But I know something. They're not getting saved just because I showed up to preach. Somebody brought them. Somebody prayed for them. I was preaching a few weeks ago in a place, a guy came forward and got saved, an old man in the back, I wish you could have seen him, praising God, I mean, just overflowing, about to bust. I didn't know. A week before I showed up to preach, that old fellow was driving home on a Sunday from church and he saw that other old man out shoveling his driveway. He went home, changed his clothes, got his shovel, went back, and said to a stranger, can I help you shovel your driveway? And the guy said, well, sure. He helped him shovel his driveway. When he got done, he said, "I know you don't know me, but would you go to church with me sometime? And the fellow was so overtaken by the man's kindness, he said, sure, I'll go with you. He came the next Sunday, and that was the Sunday the revival meeting started, and that man got saved that day. You know why I got saved? He didn't get saved because I preached a good sermon. He got saved because somebody was a link in a chain and he let God use him to reach somebody else. The lady that led me to Jesus, she's up in years now. I can see her. I just saw her not long ago. Getting ready to go to heaven? Not not too long, I'm sure. Man, I'm wondering now at the judgment seat, will anybody point at me and say, that's the man that led me to Jesus? How many of you going to heaven? Who are you taking with you? Like when we get there, who will say, that guy prayed me to God? That lady, she, she loved me to Jesus. She's the one who told me about Christ. That group at school prayed for me till I got saved. Who? You know why we don't have more people getting saved? It's not because preachers don't preach the gospel. I'm going to tell you why we don't have enough people getting saved. Because we got a bunch of missing links in our schools and in our youth groups and in our communities. Don't be the missing link. How many of you can think of somebody after you got saved that invested in you? They taught you about the Bible. Maybe they gave you your first Bible, taught you something about prayer, sat with you in church when you didn't know anybody else. How many of you ever had somebody like that be nice to you and help you grow in grace? Would you raise your hand? Okay, who are you doing that for? Who gets a stinking selfish Think It's all about us. We're eating and eating and eating and eating all the time, but we're not feeding anybody else. I'm saying to you, don't be the missing link. Look, somebody came before you, and somebody is coming after you, and you got one shot to be the link in their life that will lead them to the Lord. Next month, my dad's retiring from the pastor. He's been in the same church for 33 years. The man before him was there for 34 years. And on this Lord's Day, they're they're voting on our next pastor. And he's a man I got a lot of respect for and love for and we're excited about it. I looked at him this week. He's a little younger than me. And I thought, here we go. Next generation. You know what that is? It's another link. It's another link. Some of you have been listening to preaching a while. But some of you boys, God wants you to serve him. Some of you girls, you admire some Christian women in your church. Hey, it's your turn. It's your time. Stop playing games. This is serious business. This is eternity we're talking about. It's not just your life. It's your life connected to everybody that came before you and everybody around you and everybody coming along behind you and most of all, your life connected to what God is doing in this world. I was living in Knoxville. Did a staff retreat one year to Gatlinburg. <laughs> if anybody tells you peer pressure stops when you turn 18, they are lying to you. Two of my buddies taught me into to go and bungee jumping with them. How many of you have ever been bungee jumping? You know, these are the lunatics among us, all right? It's craziness. How many of you know what I'm talking about in Gatlinburg, that big tall tower? It doesn't look so tall from the bottom. From the top, it is tall. Two guys who went with me, one of them is a lunatic. He did somersaults off the thing. I thought, I'm not doing that. The other one was older, had several children. He tried to talk his way off the platform. They made him go anyhow <laughs> because it's too many people in line behind him. They, they suit you up before you go up the steps, and they, they weigh you. And there's a limit. And I weighed considerably more then than I do now. And I remember putting the harness on, and I stepped up on the scale, and I went exactly one pound past the stated limit that was on the sign. And I said to the teenager that was running it's always a teenager. They don't care whether you live or die, you know. And I said, I guess I can't jump. He said, oh, those scales are broken. You're good. I'm like, this is my life we're talking about here. And I started my march of doom to the top. I remember, I remember getting up on top of that thing and looking down, and I thought, Paulie, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done in your life. And then I heard those fateful words, it's your turn. Yeah. And I scooted up to the end of that thing looked at that yellow cushion at the bottom, and I thought, I'm not even going to live through this. <laughs> Somebody said, what would you do? I grabbed it and screamed like a woman all the way down. That's what I did. <laughs> Now, I'm going to tell you what I did. Look here. I took one step. Now, granted, it's a big step. It's the kind you're not coming back from. You know what I mean? I just, I took one step, and suddenly I was over. And then it was exhilarating. It was thrilling. I mean, I'm flipping in the air, and people are cheering on the ground. And I thought, I'm doing this again. Look, please. One step. Would you hear me just a second? I came to tell you tonight, Timothy, it's your turn. Settle your salvation. Know your son. Determine you're going to be strong in the grace God has given you. And then you start giving the same thing to somebody else. It's that simple. You've been poured into all these years. It's your turn. You say, I don't know where to start. I know where to start. Everybody look here. Don't miss it. This is deep. Take one step. Wherever you are, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to take a step tonight. Everybody, one spiritual step towards the Lord. It was a Thursday night 34 years ago last evening that I took my step. It was a Thursday in July. July the 27th, 1989, in a youth meeting. I was that night in the back of the auditorium, (laughs) under a balcony, in a chair by myself. Not the best place to be when it comes time for the invitation. And I looked down that long aisle, and I thought, it's a long ways down. And I was so miserable. And then finally I thought, I'm taking a step. And I can't explain it to you, but when I took one step, the Lord helped me walk down that aisle. I didn't just meet a prayer partner, a counselor on the altar. I met the Lord there. And God changed my life. And I crossed the threshold Some of you need to cross the line tonight. Take the step. It's your turn. To stop being just the kid who shows up to Sunday school and youth group and goes to the conference and goes to the activities and start to begin to be the person who will say, I will lead someone to Jesus. I will tell someone the truth. I will pass on the truth that I have been given. I will not be the missing link. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me around the auditorium, please?